The following content is provided by MIT OpenCourseWare under a Creative Commons license. Additional information about our license and MIT OpenCourseWare in general is available at ocw.mit.edu. Good afternoon. For the, um, for the past couple of lectures, what I've been doing is using love and romance as a way to talk about um, <coughs> broad issues like evolutionary psychology that can be ta- could be talked about in a wide range of other, you know, with, with a wide range of other examples. Love and romance just happened to provide a particularly good set of examples for that particular topic. I'm going to do the same thing now with um, attitude formation and the links between attitudes and behavior. Um, but I'm going to switch from the uh, um, love and relationships <clears throat> topic to the topic of um, racist or prejudicial behavior and, and attitudes. Again, not because that's the only set of attitudes that are interesting or important, but because it's a partic- it, it makes for a, an interesting path through this, um, through this material. So when you read the book, you'll get the topics discussed in rather more general terms, and here I'll discuss them in the specific terms of of, uh, of this particular um, of this particular problem. Um, I should note at the outset what it says about halfway down. I see the first page of of the. Uh, handout, which is, I'm going to do uh, my, my best to give an explanation about uh, why um, prejudiced attitudes are um, easy to come by and, and, and easy, not easy, are, are sort of readily comprehensible in terms of psychological processes that we actually know something about. But explaining these things is not the same thing as excusing them. You can have... Um, a, a, a society that says, look, all else being equal, racial prejudice and particularly behaviors based on, on, on prejudices based on, on, on gender, uh, uh, race, national origin, religion, that, these, that, that, that those sort of biases are, are, are bad and when they lead to behavior, we want to we uh, change that behavior. Um, with that, that's quite separate not unrelated to, but it's separate from the question of how you would explain it psychologically. It's important to remember that, that explanation is not the same thing as excuse. Because I don't want people going out of the lecture saying, uh, my psych professor explained that it's really, really easy to uh, develop prejudicial attitudes, and that's okay. It's the that's okay part that, that that's... Uh, that, well, the... the um, I also put on the handout a pair of, uh, of, of quotes from the early days of the civil rights movement. One from uh, um, Eisenhower saying that you can't legislate morality and a response from Martin Luther King saying, uh, well, maybe not, but you can legislate um, moral behavior. That, that's, that's really the, uh, the, 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 the social policy point. If you decide you don't like something that... Uh, um, that 
biology, psychology, or whatever is pushing people towards, you simply have to do something to make it harder for them to go where that tendency might push them. Um, well, in any case, what I'm going to do is work a, uh, a story about the development of prejudicial attitudes that's got four point, four, four, well, I guess they're called factors here, four factors listed at the top, um, and I'll work through each of them. I hope you can see how they're tied together to make um, prejudice a very available um, option to us, why this sort of thing happens to us with, uh, with, with, with some regularity. Well, this first, the first factor that I, I, I list there is ethnocentrism. That's the tendency to think that your group is the best group, you know, we're number one kind of thing. Um, if you want to come up with, oh, I say, an evolutionary psych argument for why this might happen. It's not, I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of trivial. If you've got some notion that you want to get, oh, I don't know, your genes into the next generation, um, then you might as well favor the people um, uh, who are more closely related to you. So you should be more favorable to you, to, 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 to humans than, uh, than, than, than to mice. You should be likely to be more favorable to um, people within your group and, and, and even more so to people within your family um, out of this sort of uh, fairly straightforward application of, of evolutionary theory, for example. Um, the more interesting aspect psychologically is how easy it is to get ethnocentric uh, effects or to, to get the we're number one uh, kind of effects. Um, interesting evidence for this comes from these uh, minimal attachment experiments that uh, I, I, I put the, um, oh, I, I called it minimal group affiliation experiments. Um, there's a lot of them. Let me describe uh, a couple to you. So here, here's an experiment. You come into the lab and um, we're going to do an assessment of your uh, taste in, uh, in, in abstract art. And we're going to show you a bunch of abstract pictures. And you're going to say how much you like it on a scale of, I don't know, 1 to 7 or something like that. And then um, the feedback that you're going to get from this at the end is that you are a, um, you like the work of Paul Clay, one abstract artist, better than you like the work of Vasily Kandinsky, another abstract artist, or it might be the other way around. I don't even remember, by the way, whether they were actually using um, real Clay and Kandinsky pictures, but you're going to get told that you're in the Clay group or the Kandinsky group. This is not a group uh, assignment where there is um, a lot at stake, right? So let us suppose that you're in the Clay group. You, you've been assigned to the Clay group. In the second part of the experiment, you're playing some sort of a game. I don't quite remember what the story was. Um, and uh, the, it ends up with you being able to um, operate under one of two payoff rules. In one rule, you're going to give the other group one buck, and you're going to get... Uh, Two bucks. That's one possibility. 
The other possibility is a rule that gets you three bucks and gives them four bucks. So this is you, this is them. You've got a choice between you know, option A and option B. Clearly, the rational choice from your vantage point is option B because you get three bucks and not two bucks. But in fact, there's a bias towards picking this option. Why is that? Well, if you get two bucks, you're getting more than them. Right? You know, here, I'm going to get more than I would have gotten there. But these guys are going to get a whole bunch more. Why should I give those Kandinsky lovers a bunch of stuff? Um, well, that... Um, perhaps a little bit surprising, but may, maybe it turns out that after you look at, uh, you, you, you figure that these Kandinsky sorts really are a different sort of scummy kind of person who you really ought to stick it to. Well, in fact, there's no difference between these groups. The group assignment is completely random. So any such disting distinction that you had made in your own mind is, is, is meaningless. Um, but maybe you didn't know that. So we can rerun this whole experiment by saying, what we're, get rid of the silly cover story. We're going to flip a coin. You're in group A. You're in group B. B, A, A, B, 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 N. Look, guys, it's random. There is nothing differentiating your group from the other group. Guess what? You get the same result. I think it does get a little bit weaker, but not much. So just the act of being in a group causes you to, um, to be inclined to, uh, to, to favor that group. Um, you are also inclined to think that group membership is diagnostic. Um, let, 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 let me tell you what that, that means. Um, let me describe a different experiment, actually, is the easiest way to describe this. Um, suppose I put up a bunch of dots, and we're above the subitizing range here, obviously. Uh, okay, quickly, how many dots are there there? Well, I don't know, you could guess. I mean, and you'd either be, you might get lucky and be right on, but you'd either be above or below. So you're going to do this for a while, guess at a bunch of how many dots there are, and we are going to declare that you are, um, and how do I want to write this out? You're, you're an overestimator or an underestimator. So that's the group assignment in this case. Right? Now the interesting thing in this experiment is that you've done it um, with uh, another person. And the possibilities are that, let's see, here, how we, I guess is a good way to write it. Um, it could be two guys, both of whom are overestimators. It could be two guys, one of them an overestimator, one of them an underestimator. Similarly for females, right? Um, and and similarly, you know, they could both be underestimators. Um, and then the critical conditions are it could be a male and a female who are both overestimators, both labeled as overestimators or both labeled as underestimators. And the critical condition is um, 
male overestimator, female underestimator, or the other way around. But the important point here is that a male, uh, uh, the, 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 the male is identified as one, the female is identified as the other. So after you, so you've got people in all these various groups. I don't know. Somebody can figure out how many groups there must be for the full design here. But you've got people in all those groups. And now you ask a question at the end of the whole experiment. Do you think there's a sex difference, a systematic sex difference um, between men and women on this task? Or what do you think? What do you think the sex difference is? If there's a, if, if there's a sex difference, um, the, all these groups—the male, 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 male—and and, and, or same, all the same sex groups say that the, I, I, on average, I don't think there's a difference. You know, some people say I think women are better. Some people think men are, you know, overestimators or whatever. Um, but 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 there's there's no systematic bias here. Uh, no, nothing systematic happens here. Here, something systematic happens. In this particular version of it, if, uh, if you're the male subject, uh, well, it doesn't matter which subject you, um, the, 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 uh, you would declare that males as a group are overestimators and females as a group are underestimators. What's the evidence for that? You know, one of each. Uh, clearly not meaningful. Right? There's no statistical reliability that, that, that you could glean from this. It could be that, uh, you know, that, 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 that uh, oh, I don't know, whatever other difference, brown-haired people and blonde-haired people or something um, are different. But as soon as you've got, you know that there's a group difference here, because males and females are definitely different groups. As soon as you've got evidence that there's a difference across this group, you are willing to start making assumptions that that difference applies to the group as a whole. You see how that you see how that works, more or less. Yeah, yeah. Somebody's nodding their head. That's encouraging. Okay, um, so that's this notion that, um, that 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 that's factor one. The uh, idea that you've got um, uh, that you're inclined to see your group as number one, and this is a sort of a, a point we'll come back to, which is that you're inclined to see groups as having properties that pertain to the group, and you, you, you'll jump to that quickly. Um, now, uh, the tendency to think that all members, uh, that, 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 that group identification tells you something about properties of the group, that's known as stereotyping. If I know that you are part of this group, I believe I know something about you, uh, period. Um, the... It also, so when we talk about stereotyping, we tend to think of it in sort of negative terms. Um, that is a, a, a fairly self-evident consequence of factor one mixed with factor two. If you are inclined to think that your group is number one, and you're inclined to think that group identity tells you something, it follows that being a member of another group means you're a member of a group that is at best number two. Ain't number one, that's my group. So you, in this, this group that I've identified, are in some other lesser group. On, on, on this scale. Um, that, that's fairly obvious. What's a little less obvious and is at least worth mentioning is that uh, stereotypes are not just descriptions of things that are common to that population. 
Here's the silly example. Let us consider the stereotype, the, the, the Asian woman stereotype. Um, is it part of the Asian woman, is bipedality part of the Asian woman stereotype? No, nobody sits around and says, all those Asian women have two feet. Right? It's just stupid. You know, nobody's going to say anything like that because yeah, everybody's got two feet. Um, what's important in a stereotype, um, st- stereotypes are, 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 are difference scores in a sense. It's uh, not necessarily accurate ones, you understand. They can be completely bogus. But the, I, what, what defines a stereotype is what somebody thinks differentiates a population um, from uh, one, one group from the population as a whole. So uh, I, I put some data uh, down here from one big study of, of, uh, uh, of, of stereotypes. Um, please note that these are not facts. I mean, they're facts in the sense that they're data. They're not true facts about, in this case, the German population. What they are is um, what this particular group of subjects reported believing about different groups, in this case, the Germans. So we have, I, I, I excerpted from a huge uh, study, um, the, the, the factors, efficient, extremely nationalistic, scientific-minded, and pleasure-loving. You will note that the largest single category, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the highest value for, for the German population in this collection of, of uh, data points, is pleasure-loving, but that's not part of what would be considered the stereotype here, because it's not higher than the population as a whole, right? This particular group of subjects asserted that 82% of people in the world would be pleasure-loving, and a mere 72% of the Germans would be. Therefore, pleasure-lovingness would not be considered part of that stereotype because it, 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 it's, it's not something that distinguishes um, the, uh, the, this, this German, uh, the, the, this view of Germans from the view of people as a whole. And um, in, in, in Conso, efficient, yes. Uh, extremely nationalistic, yes. And, and interesting is that something like scientifically minded would be considered part of the stereotype, even though it's not even held to be a majority um, you know, the, 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 this perception doesn't say that a majority of Germans are scientifically minded, but more Germans are scientifically minded according to this uh, view than, than, uh, than the population as a whole. Again, I have no idea what the true data would be for the German population. I don't know if they think about science at all. Um, but um, the perception is that the, the, the stereotype would include efficient, nationalistic, and scientific, and not pleasure-minded because of this, uh, the, this issue of, being, uh, of, of a differential relationship to the, to the perceived baseline, to the population, um, to the population as a whole. Um, one of the factors contributing to the power of stereotyping is what's known as the outgroup homogeneity effect. So the in-group is you, you're in some group, the out-group are other people. The out-group homogeneity effect is the tendency to uh, think that all of them are kind of alike. Right? You don't think that about you in the same way. 
So, I mean, uh, let's vote. From the, from the last lecture, you know, I, I, the, the, the nerdy high school freshman group, you know, I would know, if, if that was my in-group, I would know that they aren't all alike because I'm one of them and I know that I'm different from all those other nerdy high school freshmen um, and stuff like that. But the jocks, man, they're all alike. I don't know. It's in effect an ignorance effect. Um, Now, how does this play into uh, bias? How does this ignorance factor play into not just... Um, thinking that all those people are alike, but to thinking less of those people. If you ask about what you know about um, uh, groups that you don't interact with much, you will typically, where do you get your information about them? You get your information from the news. What gets you onto the news? The fact that you're, you know, a good student and you love your mother? No. But, you know, if you decide to go off and commit an armed robbery or something like that, that might get you on the news. And if you are a member of a a distinctive group of some sort that's not my group, I'm going to say, hey, look, I've got a data point about, oh, we can keep picking on the Asian women. You know, I've got a data point about Asian women. That one committed an armed robbery. I know about Asian women now. They all commit armed robberies. Well, look, you don't, you don't do anything quite that bald and stupid, but that's the, the, the sense in which you are willing to color the entire group on the basis of whatever information you have about one member of it. That's an, another version of this effect, right? Is likely to lead to negative assessments of the out-group because the information you get about groups that you don't interact with is skewed towards the negative. The stuff that's going to make the news about, about a group is going to be typically um, the, the negative effect. Now, that wouldn't um, make... Oh, so, so where, where are the strongest stereotypes in, in the American population at, at the... Uh, at the uh, well, actually, this, this is a somewhat old study at this point. Um, but, uh, but when you assess... You, you can use various sort of questionnaire uh, assessments to assess how strongly um, uh, a population holds stereotypic views of another population. Um, the heavily stereotyped views held by uh, an American population, this is now about 15 years ago, were held of um, Turks, Arabs, to a lesser degree, uh, the Japanese, groups that the, um, were not heavily represented in the American, the, the general American mix. Less heavy stereotypes for groups with large immigrant populations in this country because there you were more likely to know some people in that group and that's in, that, that, that makes the stereotypes um, less, uh, um, less firm, less, less, less strong. Now, one of the reasons that these stereotypes matter is because along with being willing to build them quickly and easily, we are also inclined to think that um, they are uh, that, that, the, that the attributes that we put on other groups um, are uh, ha- are causal 
at least in others. This is what's known as the fundamental attribution error. Let me explain um, a little bit. I, I, I sent a note to my social psych, a couple of my social psych colleagues um, yesterday as I was thinking about this lecture asking who was it who named the fundamental attribution error because that's a great thing to be able to do, to be able to call what you work on fundamental. It's a, it's a, it's a good, and it turns out to be uh, Nisbet, N-I-S-B-E-T-T from the University of Michigan um, if you want to track that down. But in any case, um, here, let, 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 let me explain what this is. There are two broad ways of thinking about um, personality, about what it is. You, we, we all have some notion about that, that we've got a personality um, and, and thinking about the attributes that make up that personality can be divided into two broad categories that map onto the usual nature-nurture kind of arguments in the field. There are trait theories... Um, that are on typically on the more nature side of it. That there that that there are fundamental attributes of personality, maybe coming from a, a, a genetic origin. That that are just sort of um, they, they are who you you are who you are because you have these traits. The alternative. Um, from the more nurture side of things, the environmental side of it, is a, a, situa situa situation. Too many letters. Alist. A situationalist account um, that says you are who you are because of where you are. So, um, trait theory. You are, um, you know, here now because you were. Uh, born smart and hardworking and 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 studious, or you be, or or you 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 basically have um, consistent over time hardworking studious attributes to you. Um, the situationalist account says you're sitting here right now emitting student behavior because you're in a, a, a you know a, a, a student kind of environment. If we put you um, into uh, we put you out in the farm. You would not be sitting there in the middle of the field with a notebook taking notes about the cow. You know, that's not what you would be doing. In that situation, you'd be doing um, farm kind of stuff. Like all such debates in the field, um, you know, the, the truth is going to lie somewhere uh, in between. There's going to be bits, bits of both. You're not going to get any mileage out of arguing strictly one or strictly the other. What you think about this, what you think about the balance here, um, is important for uh, the policy purposes, for instance. Why did this guy commit a crime? We've now, we know he committed a crime because we just convicted him of committing this crime. Um, why did he commit a crime? Is it because he's a criminal? You know, he's a criminal sort of person fundamentally dishonest, nasty kind of person? Um, or is it because he was in a situation that uh, promoted criminal behavior? Why does that matter? Well, if you're in this mode, you're gonna th you, 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 you may assign him to, you, you may send him off to prison in both cases. In this case, you're likely to think of prison as a place where you put bad people to keep them out of the way um, for a length of time that's appropriate to whatever bad thing they, they did, but it's basically as a, a punishment. This is the, the personality theory that would lead you to call your prison a correctional institution. 
because you think that you could correct this person. If you think he's fundamentally a, pri- a, 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 a bad person, the trick is to, to, to make sure he can't do that anymore. If you think it's because of the situation that somehow forced him into or, or pushed him into criminal behavior, you want to fix that. Um, if you, and, 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 you know, so modern prison uh, philosophy is neither all the way here or all the way there. But the balance is, it, it's really a personality theory question. Now, the fundamental attribution error is a tendency to hold to a more trait-theoretic position when you're talking about other people than when you're talking about yourself. Why is it an error? Well, it, can't, it, it, it logically can't be the case that you are the product largely of the situation and that they are a product of their invariant uh, parts. I mean, that, 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 that over the population as a whole isn't going isn't to hold up. Um, so uh, that would be, you know, why did this person, you know, why, why did this guy uh, rob the bank? Well, he robbed the bank because he's a criminal. Why did I rob the bank? Why well, rob the bank? Because I was uh, hungry and the door was unlocked and I didn't really rob the bank. I just kind of picked up the money that was lying on the floor and anyway, it was the other guy. Um, right? Much more likely to give a situational account. Or, or why did you get a bad grade um, on the last test? Let's say the midterm. Suppose you got a bad grade on the midterm. Why did you get a bad grade on the midterm? Well, the story was really lame and it distracted me and I didn't get enough sleep and, and, and uh, you know, the, the course wasn't a big priority for me and, and uh, anyway, you know, that's, that's why I got a bad grade. Um, your TA says, well, your TA is a good person and doesn't say this, but your TA looks at the, the exam and says, why did they get a bad grade on the exam? They're stupid! Right? That, that would be the fundamental attribution error. Why did your TA get a bad grade on the last... Uh, well, I, you know, I, I didn't get enough sleep and stuff like that. So, right? so we're more inclined to give situationalist accounts of our own behavior and more inclined to give um, trait accounts of other people's behavior. All right, so let's see where this has gotten to us. Uh, gotten us to. We're inclined to put people into groups. We're inclined to assign attributes to those um, groups. We're likely to uh, assign more negative attributes to groups than we ought to because our information um, about groups that we don't know is being, skewed in that, uh, is being skewed in that direction. And we're likely to attribute behavior to what we now perceive correctly or incorrectly as the traits of the group. Um, and so you can see how you're going to end up with a story that, that, that is a, a pretty negative account of some outgroup um, or other. Oh, by the way, there's a very interesting wrinkle on the fundamental attribution error, um, or at least there certainly used to be. I do not know whether this is still the case in the population as a whole, and I certainly don't know, though I would be very interested to know, whether it's... Um, whether it's true at MIT. Um, here is, well, uh, let's, let's, let's try this as an experiment and see how your intuition goes for this. Oh, okay, we can do the trait versus situational thing. Um, and we're going to have, oh, how do I want to do this? Uh, oh, okay, so, so um, math test. This is particularly strong in mathematics. So you take a math test. 
um, and you, now we're talking about, you know, you're, you're interpreting your own score on a math test. That score can be good or bad. As you may know, um, there are explanations of, um, of why the test score was good. A trait theory would be, I'm a genius. A situationalist theory would be, I'm lucky. All right, so we can actually vote. So. Um, and if the test is bad, you can have a, um, an assessment that uh, says, um, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm dumb. Or you can have uh, uh, an assessment that said, oh, I don't know, that the, the test is unfair. The interesting bit is that one gender is more likely to say this, and the other gender is more likely to say this. One gender is more likely to say this, and the other gender is more likely to say this. So each of these cells can be associated with a gender. So I got a good grade on the test. I'm a genius. Who are we talking about? All right. And it follows that, that, that this must be the, 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 the female cell. Um, I, got, uh, I got a bad grade on the test. I'm dumb. It, and and that, that's, that is the, the historical finding. This is a study, the, the, these are studies that came out in the early days of the women's movement. Um, and, that, that's, and I don't know about whether or not the... Uh, the it, it still pertains, but so the disturbing finding at the time was that uh, males were inclined to give trait theoretic answers for the good stuff. I'm good. I'm bright. I'm gorgeous. Um, and and females were likely to uh, say, "I'm lucky, and it's all makeup." or something like that. And on the other side, um, on the bad side, the females were likely to give trait theoretic answers. You know, I'm dumb and ugly and depressed and I, you know, it's just terrible. And the guys were likely to say, yeah, you know, I'm brilliant, I'm gorgeous, etc. And the test was really kind of unfair and my, my teacher hated me and, and you know, <laughs> stuff. Um, so it, it would be interesting to know whether that was still true but, uh, uh, well, yeah, well, we might as well take a poll. How many people uh, think that if we actually collected data, we'd find that, that, that something like that was still true? How many think that, that, that we would find that it had gone away? So, all right, well, so, so intuition suggests that it's still true. I have no, as I say, I have no idea whether, um, if, if, there's, uh, if there's new data on that. Anyway, the basic point is that, we, uh, that, that with that modulation, Possibly, we tend to see situational explanations of our own behavior and trait be, uh, explanations of other people's behavior. Now, let's take a look at um, this last factor, which I'm calling the role of ignorance in, um, uh, in, in, in person perception. And, um, and see how that lets us um, how that can lead to what looks like a, 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 a biased outcome, perhaps even if you didn't have these other factors. 
these other factors, this ignorance factor is now going to interact with these other factors the, um, to, to, to make biased outcomes um, quite, quite easy to come by. So uh, let, let's, let's do a version of the, the sort of classic physics joke about assume the horse is a sphere. Stuff like that. Right, you go, oh, we're going to oversimplify the situation. This, the, the, the issue here is um, who I, I got to got to get my picture the same as on the handout here. But um, who are you going to be friends with? Well, all right. First of all, we have to go back to the, the the good earnest high school discussion about making friends with people. Um, and, and, and stuff like that and does it matter if they're wearing the latest design or whatever and the answer of course is no because you shouldn't judge a book by its cover good, nice cliche um, and it is of course true now let us take uh, in the first assume the horse is a sphere oversimplification of the problem let us assume that um, the set of people with whom you might be friends in the world is the set of, 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 of let's just make it all MIT undergraduates. Um, and we know we don't want to judge books by, by covers. So therefore, what you're going to do is um, uh, set up in-depth interviews with everybody and decide who's going to be your friend on the basis of that, right? No, that's not going to work. Um, well, all right, the other alternative is don't want to judge book by, by their cover, therefore I won't talk to anybody ever again. That's not going to work either. So the, the, it, it is self-evident again. Various bits of this are self-evident. You've got to make snap decisions on the basis of, uh, of imperfect information. It doesn't mean that you have to make your decisions on the basis of... Um, whether or not uh, they're wearing designer whatevers, of course, but you're necessarily going to have to make a first cut through the population on the basis of essentially superficial information. Well, what's that going to do? Let us assume, where's my little picture here? Let us assume that um, in the world, In an act of massive over, further oversimplification, there are bad people and good people. Um, and that your job is to divide the world into those two categories. So you're going to make an assessment. You're going to perform an act of person perception and divide the world into bad people and good people, right? So we got a nice simple two-by-two two design here. Ideally, you want everybody to be in those two populations, and in those two cells, but the, the issue about not being able, I mean, even if you could do in-depth interviews with everybody, it's not clear you'd never make a mistake, but clearly, if you're just going to be basing your decisions on relatively superficial um, information, there are going to be errors. Um, I labeled these type 1 and type 2, which is actually jargon from signal detection land, but don't worry about that. Um, it just, in this case, gives us a chance to ask the question, um, all right, which of these type of errors is worse? Which error, if you had a choice about which error to make, 
which, which, which is the type of... How, how many people, given the choice between um, making a... a oh, so let, let's make, be clear about this. Uh, uh, you got a good person and you declare that good person to be bad. Or you've got a bad person and you declare him to be good. You got a choice between which of those errors you're going to make. How many people vote for type 1? How many people vote for type 2? Okay, so a type 2 person... Why, why do you want to make it just a type 2 error? Or why, 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 why do you prefer the type 2 error? He doesn't want to. Well, any, any type 2 person. There's a type 2 person. You're missing out on good people. You're missing out on good people. That, 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 that's the nice, the nice person answer. You know, you don't want to inadvertently tar some nice good person with, with the, uh, um, the, the label of being bad. Um, how about, how about a, a, a type 1 person? Somebody who voted, yeah? Yeah, there's a lot of people who can who could be your friends. You don't need all of them, and you want to get rid of those bad people. How come? Anybody else wanted to? The person behind you had a. Yeah, I mean it could be dangerous, right? If you let, uh, um, you know, if we if we dichotomize this into good and really bad, nasty, dangerous people. Um, then, then, then that intuition becomes a little clearer that you, whatever else you do, you want to uh, keep these people away from you. Now, the problem, this is a problem, this is derived, this is applied signal detection theory. Usually, you do signal detection theory in visual perception land or something. But let's, let's draw this picture. This, this is what the, the next page of the handout has on it. Um, but, but here's where this is coming from. Um, let us suppose, again, for the sake of vast oversimplification, that there are, on a scale of, of uh, on, you know, on a scale of goodness, so this is going to be bad to good, that there are only two types of people in the world. There are um, good people and bad people. That all and, and 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 that you know you want to pick the good people and and, and uh, um, reject the bad people. But the difficulty is that you can't successfully you you can't see this because your information is lousy. The effect of your information being lousy is that what you see is a distribution of goodness and badness. Something like that. Oh, I don't have any colored chalk. Oh, well. Now, it, by the way, if you were doing this in vision land, this would be, you know, say, one light and another light. Can you tell the difference between a dim light and a bright light or something like that? By the time it goes through your nervous system, rather than being always looking exactly like this or always looking exactly like this, sometimes the bright light looks a little dim. Sometimes the dim light looks a little bright, and how do you decide which one you've seen? So, you've got a good person, you've got a person in front of you, how can you decide whether they're good or bad? Well, the best you can do is put a criterion in there somewhere. So, let's just divide it. If I do that, that's okay. That means I'm now saying that, so I'm going I'm to declare everybody on this side to be good. And everybody on this side to be bad. And okay, so I'm declaring all of these people who are in fact good to be good. 
the difficulty, you know, the, the sad uh, thing, and so which, which errors are, that, are, are these? This is the good people who I'm declaring to be bad. So the type 1 errors are here. These are good people who I declared to be bad. That's too bad. Okay? Here, on this side, are all the bad people who I declared to be bad. That's exactly what I wanted to do. But these guys, how am I going to indicate this? Vertical lines or something. These are the type 2 errors. These are bad people who beat my criterion level, and I said they're good. Now, you should be able to figure out, looking at a picture like this, that there's no way to eliminate error. There's nothing that I... If, if this is the situation of, of, of the stimuli that I have to deal with, there's no way to eliminate error. All I can do is apportion error. So if I decide that the type 2 errors are the dangerous errors that I need to avoid, then I'm going to move my criterion over. This, I think, is the second... Yeah, okay, so the second picture on the handout. If I move my criterion over so that I reduce my uh, type 2 errors to just these few, let's say, well, now the result is that I've massively increased my type 1 errors. I'm now declaring all these lovely people to be people I don't want to make friends with. It's sad, but that's the way it goes. Because, as the gentleman back there said, yeah, look, there's a lot of people here still. I got plenty of people to be friends, and then, and then these guys will just have to deal with the fact that they're not my friend. That's, that's just the way it is. But I'm not letting any of these mean, nasty, rotten people in, except for these guys. Um, you know, most of these guys I, I'm, I'm going to avoid. Okay, now, look what happens when you deal with an out-group, when you deal with a group other than your own. If the argument is that um, part, of the part of what makes an out-group the out-group is the fact that you don't know enough about, you, you know less about them, the result is that um, the, 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 the way to express that in these sort of signal detection terms is as an increase in the noise, an increase in the spread of these distributions. So what that's going to end up looking like is you still have the, you know, the good people and the bad people, but now these, your perception is less accurate. Oh, that's a very ugly blob. Oh, well. Um, is it going to matter? No, it doesn't really matter. For the, well, it does sort of matter. Let me fix that. Get it symmetrical here. Something like that. Okay, that'll do. Um, so they, 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 they now just overlap more because you just don't know as much about these people. You're not as good at... Um, you, you want a trivial example of, of, of this? You know... Look, out there, let, 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 let's, let's take wolves. Right, there's an out group for you. Not wolves, but wolves. You know, the ones with the big sharp, you know, grandma, what big teeth you've got kind of wolves. Maybe there's a good wolf out there somewhere. A nice wolf. You know, the kind of wolf that we're supposed to have adopted back in, the, in, 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 you know, in, in, in antiquity uh, to make into dogs eventually. You know, a nice wolf out there. But you meet a wolf on the street 
and, and, and you don't know much about him. Where should you draw your threshold before bringing him home to play with your six-year-old? I mean, you're going to draw your threshold out here somewhere, right? You know, I don't care if I reject the one nice wolf. It's just really risky to bring wolves home. Um, so, and that's because you're just really, really ignorant about wolves. You just don't know much about them. Maybe if you knew wolves better, you'd know who the nice ones were. All right, with human populations, it's obviously much less dramatic than that. But you don't know much about um, these other people. So the distribution's... Uh, theoretically overlap more. You still only want to make a very few errors where you let bad people in next to you. So that's going to cause you to move that threshold still further over in this direction. Right? Not because you don't like these people. Understand that there's no explicit bias going on here. You're just being cautious in this, in this story. So, you know, you can get explicit bias out of those first three factors. But here, this factor has no explicit bias in it at all. Just ignorance. So now you say, oh, good, I'm only letting, you know, this percentage of really bad people in. Um, Now, obviously, there's a little problem here. Your type, uh, we're calling type one errors, these errors where you reject good people. Great, now you have rejected almost the entire population of this other group. You know that you're not biased um, in your heart of hearts because you can still say, as it, oh yes, as it says on the handout, this little tail of the distribution is, is, is the, some of my best friends are X. Right? You know, whatever, whatever that out group is. Uh, so, you know, some of my best friends are white, black, Christian, Jewish, whatever the other outgroup is that you're, you're, you're dealing with. This sort of signal detection story will get you there with some people in the group who, who, are, who are fine because they beat your threshold and the, and the vast bulk of the rest of it who disappear because, um, uh, uh, because you're, you're applying the same caution to an outgroup that you were applying to the group that you knew something about. So that, that's how um, uh, the, the, the ignorance can end up being uh, a, a factor in producing what looks like biased behavior, right? If you, if you, if you compare these two, you'd have to say, I'm, uh, I'm biased against this group because these people, you know, a hundred of these people, I'm only letting five of them be my friend. A hundred of these people, I'm letting 60 of them be my friend. You know, that, that's a biased outcome from no explicit, um, explicit bias. Now, this question of explicit versus, um, ex- explicit versus either no bias or implicit bias is an interesting one. Um, you don't necessarily have a clear idea of the biases that you may have. One of the more interesting and more disturbing um, bits of, oh, I didn't bring my computer to do a demo. What a pity. Um, there's a thing called an implicit uh, uh, attitude. Is it implicit attitude test? Yeah, it is implicit attitude test. The IAT. If you want to try this out on yourself, uh, go to www.prejudice.com, I think, is the right site. That is one site. Um, but if, if, if that fails, go and find your way to the um, website of Mazaran Banaji at, at Harvard. 
Um, and she, she is one of the leading practitioners of this, and her website will link you to a place where you can try this out on yourself. Um, as the website will tell you, be forewarned, um, the results, you, you may find the results of this experiment to be uh, disturbing to you. Um, but it's, it's well worth trying out yourself. Now, what, what, what is this experiment about? This experiment is, in effect, a version of a Stroop interference test. The classic Stroop interference uh, experiment is an experiment where what you do is you see a collection of words, and your job is, whatever the word says, is just to tell me what color the ink is that the word is written in. So if I write cat in red ink, you say red. Um, and if I write dog in blue ink, you say dog. No, you say blue. Well, that's a different interference. Um, the problem is that if I write red in blue ink, you will, some people will simply make the mistake of saying red, and everybody on average will be su substantially slowed down because of an inability to, um, uh, to suppress that response. And they'll be speed, if I do red and red ink, they'll be, they'll be speeded up. Right? So if, if, if the two sources conflict with each other, you're slowed. If the two sources um, agree with each other, you're speeded. Okay, so here's what you do in, um, in, in an IAT experiment. What you do is you, um, show, you, you, you tell people, I'm going to show you some words, and if they're good words, they're nice words, you push this button. And if they're nasty words, you push this button, okay? No problem. So, you know, nice, boink, uh, evil, boink, you know, pain, boink, and so on. Not very tough. Okay, second task. I'm going to show you some uh, pictures of people. If it's an old person, I want you to push one button. If it's a young person... I want you to push another button. So, we put me up there, and boink. <laughs> put you up there, boink. All right, that works. Now, what we do is we um, do mixed blocks, where you're going to see words and pictures together. And I'm going to tell you, okay, now, if you see a, a nice word or an old face, push this button. If you see a nasty word or a young face, push this button. It's just the two tasks on top of each other. Um, you'll be slower, whatever we do in this regard, you'll be slower, because now you have to keep two rules in mind at once. But what's striking is that if you do nice and old, you're significantly slower than if you do nice and young. It is as if nice and old mapped to the same response. It, it, it causes a conflict that doesn't work for you. And nice and young does. As if you've got a bias in favor of, of young over old. Um, 
And this does, and, and if we ask, why is this an implicit attitude test? If we give you an explicit attitude test that says, what's your attitude towards young and old people? You may perfectly well report, I love old people, I love young people, I love everybody. But you'll still come up with this, you'll still come up with this result. Uh, I deliberately did this one because it, it, it doesn't tend to carry an awful lot of, of uh, sort of uh, emotional loading for people. But it, the reason this is a somewhat dep- uh, and, and that that's a little harsh for us old people. But um, the the reason that this may be a disturbing test for people to take, you should still go off and do it, is that if I do. Um, nice and black African American pictures and nasty and uh, white regardless of your report on an explicit report of you know what you consider your bias to be the white population in this country will on average have a slower reaction time to nice black pairings than to nice uh, a pairing of nice and white Actually, one of the more in, uh, interesting and depressing findings is that that doesn't even completely reverse with, uh, with an African-American population of subjects. In the African-American population, the last time I checked on the data, uh, the, the, the pairings were roughly equal. So the African-American population has presumably some uh, ethnocentric bias in, in its own favor, an implicit bias in its own favor, but that's counterbalanced by some incorporation of the overall bias against, and so they come out as roughly equal. So the debates in the literature about this, uh, this line of work is, is this talking about implicit attitudes, which is a sort of a notion that regardless of what we think, we're all racists or something like that, or is this just saying that we have somehow incorporated... The, um, that, that we know at some level the biases of the culture as a whole even though we ourselves may not be biased. It is an interesting question beyond the scope of what I can talk about today of whether there's a serious difference between those two. But the, but the, the, the disturbing finding is, and you can do this with, uh, you know, it's, it's not black, you know, black, white, old, young is, is by no means the limit on this game. Once you got the methodology, you can do it on anything. So, um, shortly after uh, September 11th, um, they started doing uh, these tests on uh, opinions about, you know, nice, um, and you don't need to do it with faces either. So, if you want to do um, Arab versus non-Arab, you can just do it with um, names. So, you do... Um, you know, Abdul and Muhammad and so on, and, and, and then you do uh, you know, Chris and Jane and stuff, and you find that in, in, in the American population at the moment, Nice and, and, and Muhammad is slower than Nice and Robert. Um, it, it, it's, it's not surprising, but it is nevertheless, um, it's disturbing how easy it is to show these, uh, these effects. They're, and and, and they're, they're robust, they show up um, across populations, and they show up, um, as I say, fairly independent of what people report. It doesn't matter um, if you explicitly... Uh, and, and, you know, let's assume that people are reporting honestly. It doesn't matter if you explicitly have uh, the bias. You can show something that looks like a bias with, with a test of this sort. Anyway, give it a try. It's, it, it's, it's interesting um, and disturbing. And the interesting and disturbing um, 
department, I will continue in a minute or two talking about the link between attitudes and, and actual behavior. Um, so let's, this is a good place for a short break. intuition disagrees but but uh, um, I'm, I'm think and and, and in, I, I mean I don't I, I can't cite you a, an obvious yeah. chapter and verse but I'm thinking that if, if I sat down with you and I don't you know take an immediate dislike to you for some reason all right I get three bucks you get four bucks I can feel good for both of us in some fashion in a way that the, the group thing makes I mean the, the, the logic the, the, my, my counterintuition comes from all these various efforts to say, let's get you know, black and white kids or let's get uh, Arab and Israeli kids together at summer camp. Because there's nothing like, theory tells us, nothing like getting people together to make these you know, group identity things look a little lame. I can like you. But of course, a lot of that is some of my best friends are. But for some of your best friends to be whatever, you actually have to hang out with them in some fashion. usually covered in chalk dust today. I don't know what I... Oh, that's because I've been drawing all... Shading things in. That's my problem. So, look, bias... I, we, 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 can, we, can, we can presumably agree that bias um, isn't a, a, a good thing, but if it stays in the realm of, of private opinion, or if it stays in the realm of implicit opinion that you don't even know you have yourself, you know, oh, it, it's, it's, not, it, it's not exactly um, front page news. But we also all know from reading the front page that there are um, regrettably frequent occasions where one group is willing to slaughter another group based on uh, very little more, if anything more, than, um, than group identity. Um, so an absolutely critical question is how do you go from... Um, uh, how, how can people be moved from attitude to, uh, to action? And the... The disturbing aspect of uh, what we know from experimental psych about this is that it is surprisingly easy to have your behavior controlled by outside forces. Um, the, the, the experimental work, uh, of course, cannot get people to go out and slaughter each other. Um, you know, not, nothing like that would be even faintly moral, but rather like the Clay and Kandinsky, Kandinsky experiments, you can do experiments that show that it's surprisingly easy 
to manipulate the, the situation in ways that, that changes behavior in ways that uh, look at least a little bit disturbing. One of the classics back in the 50s that gets this literature going was done by Ash at Columbia at the time. I think that uh, if... Uh, I think the picture is still in the book... Um, the marvelous collection of male Columbia nerds from the 50s. Um, so, I, if, 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 anybody read the chapter yet and happen to know if there's a... Oh, uh, it's there? Somebody knows. Anyway, look, here's the basic experiment. Here you, you come into this experiment and you think you're doing um, a, uh, an experiment on visual perception. Um, and Ash shows you a, a card with, 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 with three lines on it. And uh, your job is to say which line is longer. You know? And so, now the odd thing about this, well, you're not an experimentalist, so why, why should you care? But it's a little odd as an experiment to be doing this in a group. But it turns out you're doing this in a group. Um, and, and, and so... Ash holds up the card, and you say uh, B, and you say 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 B. Everybody says B. Fine. Next card. I'm not going to bother changing my cards, but you get, the, you get the basic idea. On the critical trial, um, up comes this card. He says C. He says C. He says C. She says C. C, C. Now we're up to her. I picked. I, I stuck with her because she's got glasses. Because the, the 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 nerdy Columbia guy has glasses on too. Um, what does she do? Well, why did all these guys say C? What are they, some kind of morons? Um, they're all Confederates of the experimenter. The only real subject is this person. Um, and and the question is. Does she say C? The answer is um, about a third of the time uh, that, that in, in the original Ash experiment, the answer is yeah, she says C. Um, it is completely clear that even when she doesn't say C, um, she's uncomfortable. Right? This is an experiment on peer pressure. Um, and it's perfectly clear that when everybody else is saying C, she's busy taking off her glasses and checking them and stuff like that to see what, what, what's, what's going on here. There's, there's, there's something wrong. Um, what do you think manipulates uh, the... So, so the, the standard result is you get about a third of the people complying with the pressure. What reduces that, uh, that compliance, do you think? You? How close they are yeah, sure. If we, if we make, if you know, <laughs> then presumably it's hard to get the re, re, result and 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 that. Um, but okay. So, but if we keep the physical stimuli the same, yes. If somebody picks, oh, if somebody picks A, oh, I mean, it just looks noisy. Um, I, actually, I don't know if they ever did that particular manipulation. That's an interesting question. It might that 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 might that might change things. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't take any support 
You know this, I, you, you probably know this from, an, from you know, arguments with groups of people or something. If there's, it's, it's hard to be the first person to voice the minority view. It's much easier to be the second person. I think I actually have the data from that. Yeah, one supporter, one supporter in the group drops compliance from one-third to one-twelfth. So big drop in, 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 in the amount of, uh, of compliance. Um, the more people who say uh, C, the more likely you are to comply. The smaller the group, the less likely you are to comply. Um, but the point is that even in a matter as seemingly straightforward as which line is longer, you can feel that pressure from... Uh, from others. The most famous experiment in this canon is an experiment done by Stanley Milgram. Um, and in that experiment, um, here's, here's the setup. You come into, an, in, into the uh, experiment um, for a, 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 into the lab for a study on learning, you're told. The effects of punishment on learning. Um, and there are two of you and one of you is going to be the, uh, the learner, and one of you is going to be the, 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 the teacher. Okay? And we're going to decide this randomly. Flip a coin. Okay, uh, you're going to be the, the teacher today. Um, now, in fact, this is not random. The subject is always the teacher. The learner is always a stooge of the experimenter. Um, and here's what happens. You're told you're going to do some sort of a task, and your job as the teacher is to give the um, learner a shock every time they make a mistake. Um, this is done back in the 60s with this great big hunk of electrical equipment with a gazillion switches on there running from 15 volts to, I think, 450 volts in... 15 volt increments with instructive little labels like mild and then up here somewhere is severe and by the time you get up here it's labeled something like XXX um, and um, the instruction is that the rule is every time you make a mistake you, you increase the voltage one now uh, and, and we will give you uh, like a 45 volt shock you, the teacher, gets a 45-volt shock just to see what it's like. So you, you, and a 45-volt shock from this apparatus is, is, is uh, mildly unpleasant. It's, it's nothing you'd want to sign up for. It's not going to kill you, um, though the suggestion is that this might. Um, and um, that, that's, that's, the, uh, that's, that's the rule of the game. Now, before doing the experiment... Milgram went and asked everybody under the sun what the result would be. Um, and where's the answer to what people said? Well, the, an the answer is that everybody under the sun said they'll bail out pretty early here, that, that, that nobody's going to give them very massive shocks. Didn't I write down a number for... Nope, I didn't. Um, but, you know, he asked theologians, he asked psychologists, he asked people uh, off the street. And er everybody agreed that, that, that this is not going to um, lead to uh, much in the way of shocks. Um, and uh, this, this made the, 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 the result of the first experiment a little surprising. Everybody went all the way through to 450 volts. 
the entire population of subjects in the first uh, study went through to, to uh, 450 volts. Now, were they, were they thrilled about this? You know, oh boy. No. It was also absolutely clear that the subjects were very uncomfortable about this and that they questioned um, whether they should do this. And uh, Milgram had an absolutely stereotypical, I mean, he'd, he'd have prepared in advance the response, please continue, the experiment must go on. And that was it. You were free to leave, um, though he didn't explain this to you in great detail. But, you know, if you said, should I do this? He said, please continue, the experiment must go on. And people did. Now, he was a little surprised. In the original version, the subject, the, 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 the alleged learner had been taken out and put in a different room. And Milgram figured, well, look, maybe these people just didn't believe the setup story here. So they moved the learner, the alleged learner, to a position um, where he was uh, visible and, and making noises about this. And so, um, so he's vigorously protesting as the voltage gets larger. At some point up here, um, he's, he, he says he's not going to respond anymore. Um, and, and, and at, uh, you know, you're not going to respond anymore, so the, the experiment's rigged so that he keeps making mistakes as a result. No response is considered an error, and Milgram is there saying, please continue, the experiment must go on. Oh, he also makes, you know, useful comments like, I have a heart condition, um, and stuff like that. It's pretty vivid stuff. So what happens in that case? Well, great, no longer do 100% of the subjects go all the way through to the end. Only two-thirds of them go all the way through with a subject who has stopped responding um, and has announced that, you know, that, 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 you know, for all you know, you're killing this guy, perhaps. Um, this, this, is, this is pretty disturbing kind of stuff. Um, it, was, it was very disturbing to the, the subjects. This is actually, this is one of the experiments that produces the need for informed consent. In, in experimental psychology. Um, I mean, you, you didn't just go and hijack people off the street and say, you want to be in my, you know, you, you have to be in my experiment. These people were volunteers, but they weren't, there, there was no sort of consent process the way we would have today. And the level of distress produced in these subjects was part of what drove the field to um, require the... Um, uh, re require informed consent. Why was the experiment done at all? This is an experiment done in, in the 60s, uh, less than a generation after World War II, um, and a question that had obsessed social psychology since World War II was how could the Nazi atrocities have happened? Who were the people who went and killed millions of other people, not the soldiers, but the people who, uh, who killed six million Jews and, and I don't remember, a million and a half um, gypsies and, and, and some large number of, of gays and so on. You know, who were these people? There was a theory out there that uh, encapsulated in a book called The Authoritarian Personality, which among other things is a, a, um, fed into stereotypes about the Germans, um, which was that there was a certain type of person who was willing, the Nuremberg trials, the war crime trials after the war had produced over and over again the line, I was just following orders. 
Um, and uh, the notion was, well, there are some people who are just good at that. They just follow orders. That's the, you know, and, and, and you know, the rest of us were not like that. Um, Milgram suspected that that was not the case. Milgram suspected that the answer was that under the right situation that many people could be pushed into um, acts that they would objectively think were impermissible. Um, this, is, uh, uh, this is his effort to, to, get, at that, um, to get at that question. Um, and, well, you know, this, if, if this sounds like current events to you, um, you know, every social psychologist with, with half a credential was on the news after the Abu Ghraib uh, prison scandal, uh, you know, er, earlier in the year, uh, because it just sounded so much like this sort of problem again. The people who were um, charged, uh, many of them responded with, with the response that they were simply... Uh, if, if not following orders, following the implicit instructions that they felt um, around them. Um, you got endless articles in the papers saying, oh, you know, so-and-so was just like everybody else back home. I don't understand how he, I don't understand how she could end up in these pictures doing um, you know, things that any reasonable person would say are unacceptable in a, in a, uh, um, in a military prison situation. Um, it's the same kind of question, different scale of magnitude, of course, to the, to the Nazi atrocities, but it's the same question. How do people end up uh, doing, things like, um, doing things like this? Um, before attempting to answer, which I can see is going to run into my next lecture, let me tell you about a different uh, experiment designed to get at the same question. Um, this is an experiment where you, um, you're in one of these you, you, you think you're in a study, a sort of a, a consumer relations kind of study <clears throat> that you might run into at the shopping mall. I mean, they're set up, they set up the experiment at a shopping mall. Um, and um, the cover story is this. We're doing some research on community values um, because we're, we're basically doing investigations for a legal case. Um, here's the situation. Um, this uh, guy was living with a woman to whom he's not married. Um, his employer found out about it and, and fired him. Um, this has gone to court, and the issue is whether or not, um, whether or not the, 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 the court case hinges on community standards. If community standards are that living in, in, in sin out of wedlock is a you know, bad, bad thing, then it's okay to fire him, otherwise not. So we've got to find out what the community standards are. Let's all have a discussion. So, okay, I've told you the story. I've got the cameras rolling here. I'm going to, I, the, the experimenter, I'm going to step out and you guys discuss. Okay, you guys discuss. That's great. Now, I come back in. There's a group of, say, you know, 10 of you or something discussing this. I come back in. And I say, that was great, thank you very much. Um, now, I, I, I know, I, I know you, what, what, what you believe, because I've been watching this, but I want uh, you, you, and uh, you, please to argue from the point of view that the guy should be fired. I know it's not what you really believe, but just, just, just argue for that, okay? Oh, all right, comes back in. Okay, now I want you, you, and you to, 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 to join that argument, arguing that the guy should be fired, fine. Um, and then in the final, well, the, the, the penultimate step is I want everybody to have a chance to look into the camera and say um, why the guy should be fired. I know you don't believe that. It's, you know, whatever. You know, but, but, but just, just give me a little speech as if you believed it, okay? Cool. 
Okay, last step. Here's this statement that says that um, I can use my videotape um, in any fashion I wish, including um, submitting it as, as evidence in court. Will you please sign? I'll be back in a minute. I've got to go rinse a few things out. But you, you guys decide um, is the way the thing works. The question is, do people sign? I mean, this is obviously uh, basically asking you to perjure yourself if that, if that wasn't what you, um, what you believed. Um, now, this was a huge experimental design originally. They were crossing a number of people with, with you know, a, a gender and, and, and a lot, lots of... They originally had a plan for, oh, I can't remember, a gazillion groups. They called off the experiment early because like the, like the Ash experiment and like the Milgram experiment, this experiment produced extremely strong feelings in their subjects and enough that they, they, they had gotten a form of informed consent, which I can't go into now. Um, but, but, uh, um, but even with that, they, they realized that it, that, that it felt unethical to them to keep going. So they had 33 groups. It was a busted design, but they had 33 groups. Of those 33 groups, how many... Um, did the Milgram thing went all the way and everybody signed do you think the answer is one only one I think one group got total obedience 16 of the groups got uh, um, unanimous refusal to sign nine groups got majority refusal um, to sign so in this experiment compliance was much much lower and the question that I'll take up next time for the start of the next lecture is what's the difference between the Milgram experiment... The Milgram experiment... Let me say one last thing about the Milgram experiment. This is not an isolated result that happened... The Milgram's at Yale. It's not just an isolated ex- experiment that happens in New Haven in 1960. Replicated all over the place. Doesn't matter in America. Doesn't matter age, sex of the subjects. It replicates beautifully. Why does this work and the other experiment didn't? 